0: It is so good to be with you this morning. And I know it's good to be together. And, uh, you know, I already feel sort of a part of the temple family. I feel like uh, I've been enfolded here. I feel like I've been welcomed here. Uh, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm rooted here. And I'll tell you why. You're probably saying, well, you must have met some people and people were friendly. Yeah, all of that. But more importantly, I was given a church key now, that's power. The, the pulpit is power, but this is real power when you get the church key, right? And uh, the funny thing is, on the front of it, it also says Lowe's. So I guess I can go over to Lowe's after hours and look around in there as well. So uh, probably next Sunday, James will give me the combination of the safe out there, I think, right? Probably. Well, it is good to be with you. Let us pray. I need God's help, and then we're going to open the word. Father God, Abba. We love you. We love you. And we want you to hear that from our lips this day. We have come to hear from you. May your son be lifted up. And in so doing, we're drawn closer to him. Thank you for the worship team who have led us to the throne already. Father God, I acknowledge what you already know, that your servants not worthy of the task are capable of it. And so would you help me as we open your word and as we look to your mind and your will in our lives. And so, Father, sit upon your throne. We sit at your feet and minister to us. We want to leave this place having been with Jesus. That's our heart cry. And it's in Jesus' name and for his glory alone that we pray. Amen. amen. Well, I hope you have your Bibles in some form this morning, and if you do, open to John chapter 13. We're continuing in our series, This We Know, and we're studying the Upper Room Discourse, what we often call the Upper Room Discourse. This is Jesus preparing His disciples, the ones that are in the room, and us, for ministry in this world when He is no longer uh, physically with us but by way of His Spirit. And my message this morning is just, you know, uh, when I was asked to consider coming and preaching here for a number of months, uh, we had no idea sort of where we'd be at in our world, and so this was decided well before Christmas, and our message this morning is love one another. And I think it couldn't be more timely in the world in which we live. And so, open your Bibles, John chapter 13, hear the word of the Lord. We're going to begin to read at verse number 31. When he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I will also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And here's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is God's Word. Amen? Amen. You see, Jesus perfectly revealed the Father to the human experience. In Jesus, we see exactly about the Father, what the Father wanted us to see, perfectly. And as we get started this morning, I just want us to set the stage and to show you something of the richness of God's Word and the humanness of His followers. So just look ahead to chapter 14, if you would, there, and look at verse uh, number 8. And a simple verse, you know the verse. Philip said to him, this is to the Lord Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. In other words, Philip says, Jesus, just show us God. If you show us God, man, that'd be awesome. That, that would just be so great. That would just be so helpful. And so Philip, he asked sort of for this immediate and direct access of a, to a display of God, him, his very self. And sort of Philip joins this queue of human people who have said, boy, I just would like to see God. And that's been expressed through the ages, and it's rightly understood, or it should be rightly understood, that there's no higher experience in all of life than to see God. And so that's what Philip asked for. Now, Turn all the way back to John chapter 1, if you would, just for a minute, and keep that thought in your mind. Philip's saying, you know, Jesus, can you just show us the Father? If you did that, that would be enough. Turn all the way back to John chapter 1. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46 says, "Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We know that. Philip said to him, Come and see. Just, just come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in, in whom there is no deceit or no guile, some translations say. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And certainly he does over the next three years or so. And he said to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." So as we've read there, friends, Philip is one of the very first disciples, and he goes and gets Nathaniel and says, "Hey, Nate, come and see this guy. We've found the one we've longed for, the one that Moses has spoken of. And remember that uh, we, as God's children, were made in the image of God, Amen all of us. Now, the image of God in us has been dinged pretty sizably by sin. And we all yearn, just as Philip did, for that imago Day, that image of God. Boy, we just want to see God. Well, some days we can see God in us in greater or lesser extents, right? But, but that's been the hard cry. Remember, Moses said back in Exodus, God Show me, show me your glory, remember? But all that Moses could handle was the trail of God's glory. He would just be overwhelmed by God's glory. Sometimes people say to me, you know, Pastor, when I see, when I meet God, I'm going to ask God why he made mosquitoes. You know? And I say, no, you're not. Because when you see God, you're going to fall on your face and you're going to worship. And you're going to say, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, it's better than I could have ever imagined, right? But we want to see that image of God, that glory of God. And so when Philip asked this question three years later, after seeing all of these things happen, right, all of the miracles and hearing the teaching and all of that, you can almost sense in Jesus' voice A sense of disappointment. Jesus said to him, Philip, oh, man. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever, listen carefully, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, if you want to see what God looks like, friends, I give you that little opening. If you want to see what God looks like, You look to Jesus. You want to know what God's like? You look to Jesus. Jesus is not an avatar of God, developed by some angelic computer program writers in heaven. Jesus is God. John 10 30. You should know this verse. I and the Father are. Does anybody know? one. We're what? We're lockstep together. God is glorified in Jesus. That's what we've just read. How is he glorified? He's glorified in his obedience, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, which I might add are all one package, and then ultimately his exaltation. And Jesus is glorified in him. And now he's in the he 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 demonstrates the eternal essence of God. Now he enjoys the eternal presence of God. And so when we look at Jesus, we see the Father's glory. And so now as we enter into the heart, the very heart of this farewell teaching, listen carefully, Temple. This is God speaking. This is God speaking. And some people have a greater sense of that, you know. They have a greater sense of God telling them to do things. I have a friend of mine that he, he seems to, you know, God speaks to him audibly. I don't, I don't question it. I guess he does. You know, I, I've, there's been times at night, you know, I'm lying in bed and I think God's speaking. And then I oh, no, no, that's too much Chinese food. You know, something's happening inside of me. But some people really have that experience, Right. And sometimes people say, you know, I really wish God would speak to me. He is. Right here is God speaking to you. He's speaking to you right here. As if your name was written in this. God is speaking in a very real way. Verse 33, little children, yet a while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I have said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And that concept, friends, we're going to look at in just a couple of weeks. And then from verse 33 on in chapter 13, Jesus is very carefully preparing his disciples for life in his physical absence. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Okay, hold it up. Okay, and I want you to say this. Go along with it, okay? I'm from Cambridge. I'm not even from Sarnia. Go along with it. Okay, I want you to do this. Hold your hand up like this and do this. Say... God is speaking to me. Say that. God is speaking to me. He's going to speak to you right now. He's going to speak to you in a clarion voice as his people. Are you ready? Let's read again what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Verse 35 Still God speaking, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And I'd like to propose this morning that these two verses, friends, are world-shaking, culture-creating, heart-piercing, life-anchoring, game-changing verses for God's people. Let me give you a new commandment. Love one another in the same way I've loved you. A new commandment. Love one another in the same way I've loved you. A new commandment. Love one another in the same way I have loved you. You need to memorize that verse so you can manifest that verse in your life. Now, you may say, okay, Steve, I know that, uh, I know it's God's, but I know Jesus is speaking to me here, but, and I agree with the love one another and everything, but, I, you know, here at Temple, we got some annoying people, right? In fact, what, just shout out some of the names of some of the annoying people. I'm kidding. Oh, I heard a woman say her husband. Okay, I heard that one. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, no, maybe you're sitting there saying, well, I can't think of anybody who's annoying. Maybe it's you, actually. Then. You know, it's... but, you know, we're, 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 kind of a, we're kind of a ragtag bunch, aren't we? kind of cobbled together, and the reality is, you know, for a lot of my life, I've, paid, I've been paid to be good, I've been paid to be nice. You have to be good for nothing, Some, something like that, right? In the Latin Vulgate, this new commandment, <clears throat> if you've ever had to endure studying Latin, is mandatum novum, which is where we get the term Monday, Thursday. Have you ever heard that term? Some of our Presbyterian friends and others celebrate that more than we Baptists do. But new here is quite different. It's quite different here. Um, You could say, well, yeah, new commandment. That that doesn't seem right because, uh, you know, if you're a student of the Bible, you'll know that just a couple days before this event, Jesus is teaching, probably in the temple, and he's asked, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know that? And you shall what? Does anybody know the second part? Love your neighbors. So hold on a second, Jesus. Is that really new? How can it be new? Well, it is new. And I'll tell you why it is new, why this is quite radically different. The, the Greek word here is kainos. And it has... It encompasses the reality that this is going to be new because it's going to be done in a new way that was unaccessible before because this will only be possible because of our salvation experience and then as part of that, the consequent indwelling and helping of the Holy Spirit. Because I got news for you. There's days where I'm sure... Without the Holy Spirit in my wife, she couldn't love me. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. If my wife murdered me, she would not be convicted. (laughs) They'd hear the testimony, and they'd say, I would have done it sooner. Right? We all can be unlovable, amen? We can all be unlovable. But this command is new in two ways. First way that it's new. Because it is new because it will be exercised in this unique one and only community called the Ecclesia, the Church. This commandment is given for those of us who identify as Christ once, Christ followers. So, it's going to be new in that regard. And, and, you know, we look back at what Jesus said there in the temple teaching, right? Love the Lord your God. Love God. What's that? That's this vertical relationship. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is a horizontal relationship. But now, when he says, You, as disciples, as my children, love one another, that's a reciprocal relationship. A reciprocal relationship. Uh, one of the first uh, century, or uh, yeah, first century fathers Tertullian. Some of you may have read some of his writing. He writes what the pagans of the day said about the Christians of that day. Here's what Tertullian read, just as an observer, picking up on what all these people who are far from God, who didn't identify as Christians or religious people, they said this. See how they love one another, how they are ready to die for one another. Interesting, eh? Because remember what Jesus said, love one another as, what did he say? I have loved you. And that's the second way that this commandment is new. The second way that is new. And, and a case could be made that the washing of the disciples' feet that we talked about a couple weeks ago is so intimately intertied to this attitude and this action. And this is the underlying reality, friends, that is to govern all of our kingdom relationships moving forward from that day till today. All of them. It is a command, not a suggestion or merely a good idea. Several years ago, I was standing out on the parking lot of the church that I pastored. And a man who didn't attend our church drove into the parking lot. And he was looking for his daughter, I think, who was at our youth group. And uh, so he drove over to me and he goes, Hey, how are you doing? He was kind of a, you know, he was kind of a, you know, kind of a, what's the word for that? He was kind of a car driver. We'll leave it at that. And he's, hey, hey. I said, Oh, how are you? he goes, Good. He goes, Yeah, as I was driving over here, I noticed, Man, are you ever fat? What a friend we have in when somebody says that, you kind of wish John 13 wasn't in the book, don't you? And I go, like, how do you answer that, right? Oh, I really, I didn't know I was fat. Thanks for telling me that. When I was out wearing my speedo at the beach last summer, I didn't notice I was fat, right? And I go, oh ha 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 ha. ha. You know, about two or three years later, that man came to our church, began to attend. And he was in our kitchen cooking for an event. He liked to cook. And he was standing at our big stove there in the kitchen cooking. And only with God's help. Okay, full disclosure, only with God's help. I went over to him. He was cooking away. And I put my arm around him and I said, I am so glad you are here. And he began to weep. And a few weeks after that, he came up to me in the foyer after I preached, and he said, I couldn't believe you hugged me in the kitchen. And I said, <laughs> I wanted to say, you could, uh, all right. <laughs> it was only with God's help, right? Because those things ding you, right? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not about being hurt, holding on to hurt. And I said, oh, really? And he said, I said to you one of the two stupidest things I've said in my entire life. And so I just looked at him, and I said, what was the other thing? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, uh, it's okay. I mean, we've we got to be bigger than that, right? we got to be bigger. Is it hard? Oh, man, it's hard. You better believe it. William Reese wrote a Welch hymn. I don't know if you sing it here. Galen, it's been done by Matt Redmond. Maybe you sing this song. Here is love vast as the ocean. Listen carefully. Loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life are ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can se- cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice, listen, kissed a guilty world in love. Isn't that something... Reese is saying there, while we were literally guilty as sin, right? You've heard that term. We didn't need to have any witnesses about our guilt. We didn't need to have a trial about our guilt or a DNA testimony or anything like that. We were guilty. And while we were guilty, God sends his son to kiss the world in love. Wow. Wow. And that is the standard. You see, the the wonderful thing about grace and the wonderful thing about God's love that is to flow through us is that when your holiness is at its worst, God's love is at its best. Amen? Amen? And this is the foundation of all the reciprocal commands that we find, all the one another's. And in your sermon notes, if you uh, print those out or look those up, I've given you those commands. And these commands are unique and binding on us, the people of God. They're God's standard in regards to how we interact, one with another. And when we adhere to them... And we need God's help to do this, right? Remember, this is why this is a new command. The Spirit helps us. When we adhere to them, we experience this cohesive unity. The the Spirit enables and at the same time fulfills us and binds us together. And whenever you see one of these one another commandments in the New Testament, you will see the character of Christ himself in that command. Whenever you read on one another, you're seeing the character of Christ. You're seeing the character of God in that command. Well, let me give the caution, right? The caution is the danger of the flesh. And the danger of the flesh is, well, if he loves me or she loves me, I'll love him back. And if she cares for me, well, I'm happy to step up. Those are bilateral contracts. That's not the reciprocal command that Christ is giving here. And if we were to reflect, reflect Christ, and that's what this is all about, this whole teaching, then these commands, these reciprocal commands, were initiated by Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything that he has never done. The only thing you have to do that Jesus never did is apologize. But Jesus initiates and demonstrates this. Romans 5, 8 is the benchmark for this, right? But God showed his love for us in while we were yet, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. See, that, that's not reciprocal. That, that's not bilateral. Well, you know, if, if they're good, uh, Father, I'll, I'll go to the cross for them. No, no, no. While we were yet sinners, right? Christ shows God's love for us, and he dies for us. It's so incredible. It's so magnificent. And so the Spirit of God in us sparks a love that is not dependent, friends, on the actions of others. It's it's motivated by a sense of one another's value to God and the imago Dei, the image of God in them. And these one and others contribute to and confirm my spiritual growth, right? When you live those out, they they will contribute to and they confirm your spiritual growth. They'll bring enabling and healing amongst the church family. And they actually bring protection to the church family. And they also encourage others to do likewise, And that commandment, Jesus tells us very clearly there, right? Very clearly. Look at verse 36 by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. I believe that that commandment, when it is fulfilled, provides the most powerful revelation of the risen Christ to the world. I really do. Um, a friend of mine started a church in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I lived, in, I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and then I lived in South Carolina for 11 years. I'm fixing to tell you about it. So this friend of mine, he started a church in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and he saw this little uh, fundamental Baptist church that was kind of overgrown a bit. The weeds were growing. And he could tell it was a fundamental Baptist church. Do you know Why? Because a true fundamental Baptist church, the worship center is a separate building from the building where they eat meals. They're always two separate buildings because you can't have fun in the worship center. So he saw this church was all overgrown, and his church was growing. He had started a year or two before, and they were in a daycare center, and he thought, maybe we'll find a building. So he looked at this church, and he, was, you know, he thought, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're going out of business. Maybe they're closing up. So he went right across the street from that church, and he knocked on the door of a house there, and he said to the man, do you know anything about the church? He goes, yep. He says, what can you tell me about it? Here's what the guy said. He said, I can tell you they fight all the time. That was, that was what the guy said. I can tell you they fight all the time. And so, my friend said, you ever go over there? He said, I only went once. He said, you did? Well, what motivated you? He said, the building was on fire. <laughs> True story. True story. And he said, oh, would you ever go again? Who catches on fire again? I'd probably go over. That was the testimony of that church. They fight all the time. Let me give you the flip side of Jesus command here that this will demonstrate to the world. I grew up in a non-Christian home. My parents weren't churchgoers, had no interest in church, and uh, a little brother in church up the street from us had a Sunday school bus ministry. Anybody remember Sunday school bus ministry? And so, this man knocked on our door and said to my parents, can we come and get your kids? And my parents said, Yeah. And that's what they did. They tell me back in those days that was very common, to give your kids away to complete strangers, you you know. Uh, Anyways, so I started to go to this little brethren Sunday school, and and I was an EGR kid. Do you know what an EGR kid is? Extra grace required. I drove those Sunday school teachers crazy. I spent at least 50% of the Sunday school classes out in the hall from horsing around, fooling around. And see, I wasn't a church kid. So, like, if you're a church kid, you kind of got to put up with them, right? I was this kid that was, you know, being, you know, ferried in, driven in. And so I'd I'd be booted out all the time. I'd get home. I'd get home, my mother would say to me, well, how was the lesson? I'd been out in the hall. I'd say, well, I was a bit muffled. (laughs) But do you want to know something? They love me. They love me. Do you know when I went into full-time ministry, the elder that prayed over me in a different church was the man that drove the Sunday school bus. Can you imagine? And I'm sure there were Sundays that some of those, he, he he was one of my Sunday school teachers at one point too. I'm sure they wanted to kill me. But you know what? That was a demonstration to this kid in an unchurched, unsaved home of the love they showed one for another, including me. And it totally changed my trajectory. It was so powerful to me, it was so beautiful. How will people know that we are of Jesus because we love each other? And I've come to learn that the roadblock in, in evangelism, friends, is it's not our methodology. I really don't think it is. Because many people can resist a good argument, they can re- resist uh, rebuttals, they, they can resist all kinds of, of apologetic books and lectures. But here's what I have found love is hard to resist, it's so hard to resist. Now, how do you do this? And I'm done. How do you do this? Two things I want to encourage you with this morning as we close. The first one is this keep your heart big. Keep your heart big. Jesus had in his faith family a zealot, a tax collector, a naysayer, a couple of brothers who were wanting to be big shots, a traitor, a loudmouth fisherman, among others. And only a big heart could take all of those backgrounds and personalities and sins and love them to the end and to the fullest perfectly. Keep your heart big. Don't allow Satan to convince you, and Don prayed for this this morning, and I thought it was perfect. Don't allow Satan to convince you that your opinion is always right. And I don't mean on the things that we would bang the table over, like is that God's word or is Jesus God's son? I'm talking about the second, third, fourth tier stuff. Hold on to that stuff loosely. Don't have the hubris to think, well, I got this right, I got it figured out. Keep your heart big. And the second thing is to keep your heart soft. Keep your heart soft. Because you will get hurt and bumped and disappointed by God's people, just like Jesus did. Right? These guys, he invests all this time in teaching miracles, walks the streets with them, eats meals with them, invests in them. And when he goes to the cross, what do they do? They desert him. Your heart is going to get dinged. And, and it's easy to allow it to get sort of cynical and bitter and hard, right? Right? And I mentioned a week or two ago, that's where sensitivity to our own sin is so important to keep our heart soft. So keep your heart big and keep your heart soft. Amen? Amen. Love one another. When we love one another the way Jesus loved us, even unto death, you know what? Our message is magnetic and the moving forward of the church is unstoppable. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father, we love you. Father, you are so good to us. Father, forgive us. We want to confess first. Forgive us when we haven't loved one another. And I'm guilty of that. There's been times when I've taken exception, taken offense, been dinged, and sometimes hung on to that event way longer than I should have. And so forgive me of that sin, Father. Father, may we manifest a love amongst one another. May the Temple Baptist Church family in this community demonstrate such radical, irresistible love that people will look at this community and see nothing but Jesus. The standard for love in all of the human experience. And it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen.